A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So, whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H E L P. Sometimes all that you can do for someone else, if you want them to, if you want them to be in your life, set your boundaries, but also give them a safe place where they feel like you can come, they can come to you. Hello, friends, enemies, lovers, lovers to friends to enemies, and everything in between. Hope you're having a good day, the day you deserve. This is Stuart, and welcome back to the podcast. Today, everyone, we have a special guest, Aaron Jardine, also known as Aaron Jardine, Aaron the pun, Aaron the, <laughs> oh my god, stop sending me the puns, Aaron the puns, please stop, I will block you on all forms of social media. Happy and humbled to have her on this episode today to talk about passions and finding that happy place in yourself. So, Aaron, I apologize for that um, introduction and slating you straight away. How are you? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Great. You haven't made a pun yet. Not yet, but um, we shall see. We shall there has to be see. like <laughs> There has to be a good um, like setup I've or sure just like a little trigger. I've made sure there's no language <laughs> for you. Out of everyone that I say, please come on to the podcast. We will have an open conversation. You are the most I will close it. It's like, nope, <laughs> nope, nope. Okay, you get one. You get two. You get three. No. But Three strikes, you're out. How has your day been going before we get in? So far, so good. How about yours? Well, um, judging for the fact we were meant to do this two hours ago, and I said, Aaron, I will only be 20 minutes. <laughs> and then time blindness happened and freaking life happened. I think that says a lot about my day. It's been good, despite the fact that I always feel like that my time doesn't belong to me. It's been good. It's been productive, if that makes sense. So I'm happy yeah. to give my time to people and then try and share it when I can. So burn out the next 30 minutes, hour, 10 minutes, if you make one freaking pun, I'm happy to share with you. <laughs> You're not going to sign any pun-ishments? An NDA? No, not yet. <laughs> Non-disclosures, not yet. But on that question, I want to segue away from puns because I feel you're itching to do one. 
Um, have you heard the new Little Mermaid soundtrack? I've heard bits and pieces of it. I already love the voice of the main actress. She has such a beautiful voice. And I have, I never knew that Melissa McCarthy could sing. That was, uh, okay, Unfortunate Souls is one of my favorite villain songs, and she nailed it. Do you think? I think so, yeah. I agree with you on, um, I don't even know how to pronounce her name. I'm looking at her here. Haley, Halley? Haley? Haley, Haley Bailey? Ba Bailey? Haley Bailey? Bailey. 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 She yeah. is probably one of the best, let's say, redevelopments of one of these Disney princesses to match, like, let's say, the nostalgia factor. Like, uh -huh. she, she's an amazing songstress. You can't take anything away from anything she's in. Melissa McCartney and Unfortunate Souls, unfortunately... Uh, hold the oh god <laughs> oh my yes yep yes, yes i instigated it yes you deserve a pun for that but i felt it was good for her but it did not match the original i i think we have well, such nothing's like gonna a match high... the original this no matter how many yeah go ahead no i was going to um what really let me down with the soundtrack was do you know under the sea uh, yes, and I am still questioning the design for Sebastian. I have no hassle with the design for Sebastian because it's realism. Like, they're trying mm -hmm. to do that, you know? But I am never going to see Sebastian wiggle his ass and chest <laughs> like he did as an animated version. And I have accepted that. And even though it's a great song and it's probably going to be such a cinematic piece of history, like mm -hmm. doing this undersea, like, dance number, Mm -hmm. I'm still not going to see this 3D animation version of the crustacean wiggle his ass and chest. So, so you're a little crabby about it? You get one punt, that's it. <laughs> but I, I felt Melissa McCartney's song just did not live up to the hype that they made it to be. But Haley Bailey, I mean, I don't think they could have picked a better actress to play that role. Oh no, they could not have. She is amazing. When it comes to playing the Disney villains, though, have you ever noticed that the modern remakes, um, I don't know if they've done this with, because I haven't seen the movie yet, how they may have changed, um, not Maleficent, um, Ursula's backstory like they do with so many of the modern remakes for the Disney villains. That's um, like where, yeah. No, go ahead. What was the rest of your sentence? But just basically, like, with the remakes that they have done nowadays, they either give them an actual backstory, they explain um, why their personality is the way it is, or what their true motivation is, as compared to the originals where they just gave a vague or one sentence motivation or description. Like Ursula's was that she was banished from, uh, oh God, I'm, I'm forgetting the name of the sea world. How can you forget the name of the sea world, I, girl? Ow, ow. Well, you're not helping. Hold on. Thank you. Atlantica. It Thank had you. the massive dildo in <laughs> promotional pictures. Only you would see that. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> Apparently, a spurned animator drew. You can see it. It's a massive phallic um, shape there on all the promotional materials for um, King Trison's palace. I. And no I, one copped it. I, I, hmm. Look it up after this, but 
I'm not sure I ever want oh it now. <laughs> I've just I've just destroyed the Little Mermaid for you, and you haven't even seen it. <laughs> nah, you can't destroy it for me. But no, like when, back to like the Disney villain parts. Um, for Ursula, hers was she got banished for witchcraft. For Gaston in the remake that um, with Emma Watson, his backstory was PTSD from fighting in a war. And Malefic. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, I, I remember you. That. You and I had a whole conversation about this like last year, a whole debate on like original Gaston versus remake Gaston. Why do you think this is? <laughs> no, 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 not our conversation, huh? but like the redevelopment of what a villain is in modern day society. I guess just trying to um, empathize with them justify. or rather justify perhaps. Yeah. Because, but a thing what they do with a lot of villains is, um, they were for sure evil, back in uh, back in the originals. And, yes, they were. Uh, yes, they were borderline two dimensional, literally, mm -hmm. um, characters but, that were there to be bad. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they were set. Uh, they were set villains. Now we're in an age, especially in a generation, that um, either empathizes with the villains or hell falls in love with them um or just they humanize them a lot more what do you mean because humanize a villain a they villain make them <laughs> true except if it's a like maleficent or ursula um or they just make them what i mean by humanize is they make them more seem potentially yeah relatable uh, or even potentially good redeemable even in some ways do you not think a villain could be redeemable it depends on we what were it meant is. to talk about a passion project and <laughs> yeah. this just went so deep in a completely different direction i love it <laughs> it did and these are actually some of the most fun conversations i like having with you now if i may i'd like to segue in here and just express my sincerest gratitude to you for all you do. Whether you realize it or not, dear listener, you have helped me immensely with this production. From the simple things, the, the like, comments, and shares on social media spreading this message, to the tips, the notes, the being held accountable, the suggestions, the realization that maybe this strange Irish man talking about self-love and mental health could possibly help someone. The whole premise of this podcast, this production in general, is so that we know we have value. We are allowed hold space and we do deserve to be loved. So to you, I want to say thank you for keeping me afloat, for keeping me humble, and for reminding me of this when I need it. I think that the only conversations I have, it's like, I know I'm going to be a villain in someone's story in like 10 years time, I'm going to make the world burn, so I need to justify my actions now, so I have an alibi later. But I think, okay, I think I, um, there's a, there's a different trope, there's a there's a different trope between it's like a borderline villain, but not quite a hero. Um, it's anti-villain, anti-villain, but there's also the magnificent bastard. 
that's a really great trope because it is a technical villain that you just love to hate or does something that makes you the audience go oh you magnificent bastard that was just so well done i absolutely you're evil but i love you but why would you love someone who's evil because they're crafty or clever like like loki He's a he's borderline villain, but only in certain parts of the Marvel universe, especially in uh, the first Avengers movie. He is one of these set villains. There's a couple of theories behind that, but he's such a likable character, you know, just in general. Do you think that, do you think, do you think that comes down to um, divine God that he is Mr. Hiddleston's acting, or do you think that comes down to the fact that the character was a villain? in our eyes for his actions at the time but he a little bit about them within within himself when we learned his backstory and where he was going with it a little bit of both because it's impossible not to like tom hiddleston but as for the character loki <laughs> he's huh I, i'm laughing because yeah you can't not like tom hiddleston whenever he's in a role yeah not only is he an amazing actor he's just he makes even the most despicable characters likable. One of his first uh, roles, or not, one of the ways he just got discovered by um, Kenneth Branagh was Kenneth Branagh saw him playing Iago. Or no, he was, or one of the, um, he was either Iago or one of the other characters in Othello. And he said that this is a despicable character, but he brought such a charm to him that you easily uh, liked this character. And, oh, yeah. Nice. Yeah, so he does that with Loki, too. This character, you feel really sorry for him, for everything that was done for him. It doesn't justify his actions. But there's a lot that you can empathize with him. And I think Tom Hiddleston really brings that out. Because he he does the uh, he uses the phrase, like, every villain is a hero in his own mind. And he makes you really feel the character's pain, or really makes you aware of what this character is going through you know and a bit by bit uh emotion by emotion and plot by plot i want to try and take this way back into the actual episode right. itself but do mm -hmm. you not think that a villain is just a person be them ethereal mythical human who has justified their means for a want or need because of what they're passionate about at the time. Absolutely. And, and that the, the outcome could be seen as either heroic or treacherous. To them, it would be heroic, depending on what it is. Winston Churchill once said, if you are going through hell, keep going. Mm -hmm. Winston Churchill is seen as like one of these amazing figureheads during the World War II, but he was also um, an instigator in quite a lot of pain and death during that time. Mm -hmm. Was he a villain or a hero during probably one of the darkest moments of our, let's say, modern day history? Just My brain immediately cuts my brain immediately comes up with the snarky answer he was a politician he was a politician oh my yes okay fine i'll accept that that's not a pun that's not a strike i love, it. <laughs> I love that one that's great yeah deadpan yeah. answer it's just like how do you justify all these actions 
He was a politician. Mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah. Because politicians especially do have a way of justifying what they do uh, for the greater good, and it could be for completely selfish reasons. But Whether as for when they're kicking someone in the face or taking the rug from out from underneath mm-hmm. someone. Yeah. Exactly. And that's exactly what Winston Churchill was doing everything he possibly could at the time as a politician. He was morally gray. Very good. Yeah. Oh, damn. All right. Now I want to bring it back. Was Loki morally gray? Oh, damn. <laughs> oh, Loki. Oh, God. He's, he's a trickster. He's very, very selfish. He's a narcissist. He doesn't do anything for the greater good. He does it for all selfish reasons, even when he does good things. Like, in the you know, long game. In the long game, yeah. He's, he does everything for completely selfish reasons. So Let's technically, talk about the long game with you. No, we're going to, we need to, we need to actually <laughs> get into the that. episode itself. It's yes. like I segued, I brought it back. Dang, Stuart, no, no, no waffling, please. One episode, no waffling. It's just a stack of waffles, one on top of the other. It's disgusting amount. Like if I was to put syrup on it, I don't even want to know. Maple, maple syrup, syrup or blackberry? Oh no, proper maple syrup from Canada. Mm-mm. Well, yes, but give me like blackberry syrup with a little lemon curd. That sounds really good. I've never heard of blackberry syrup. <gasps> Stuart! Stop it, You're... you jelly <laughs> bean and peanut butter like, <laughs> enthusiast. Erin, what is your that... current passion besides a blackberry syrup? What is or besides driving you nuts? <laughs> I'm pretty sure that is not a passion anymore. That is your job, and people pay <laughs> you to just like comment stuff on my my posts or just send me like random puns <laughs> a day. Oh, that's just for fun. Oh, but... you do it for fun? You could be making oh, yeah. bank for that. Yeah, I could. Um, I would say that current pro- uh, passion is just currently trying to develop skilled. Des- uh, um, almost amateur graphic design for, you know, future projects, developing my own style. That way it doesn't feel like I'm just copying off someone else like you do when you first start out. What do you mean like, by amateur then? <laughs> amateur because I'm, I don't consider myself a professional just yet. In graphic design. Yeah. And plus I don't, um, I never took classes and I don't have the proper technology to do stuff like what you would do. I do everything on like document word. So I feel like, mm -hmm. so I I use what tools I have and I try to make the best of what I can with that. And I'm still developing. I'm still like creating new styles or creating different designs. And I find, uh, I find something that, okay, this works. Oh, I didn't know I could do that. I'm still learning bits of technology, so I still consider myself an amateur. Is that not a good mindset to have in life in general? To be considered, consider yourself an amateur, that way you always strive to learn. I just had this conversation with um, 
not even a close friend, someone who I'm trying to rekindle a friendship with right now. We haven't talked in a couple of years. Oh. They're professional internationally when it comes to acting. I'm here in Ireland. We met up and we had a conversation about how we're both back doing courses. We're both back learning when it comes to the art of theater. But he asked me, why was I doing this? I asked him, why was he doing this? And it's like, we can always learn more. We should never think we should stop learning. We always want to be in that mindset of being an amateur and always like being able to be developed like a piece of clay. You know, we're going to be molded. Yeah. And when you think about it, we're not the same people that we were even a day ago. We're changing every day, every month, every year. We're going to keep changing. And as many people, I've seen so many people just try to stay the same or keep certain traits in themselves, but they don't give themselves the potential to grow or accept their own ev evolution. And do I don't accept feel... your own evolution? Accept the fact that you have changed, that you are a completely different person now, or they want to stay in not a comfort zone, but like their own mental space where they feel like I'm safe in here. I don't want anything to change. Or and I they don't safe at this time in life. Mm -hmm. And I want to go back to there. Yeah. And you... I really, sorry. No, you go ahead. I had a discussion recently with a friend who was having a friendship breakup and I told her, you're going to have a multitude of different friends throughout your life. And each of them is going to bring something different to your life. They're going, you want to keep the people in your life that you're going to grow and change with. And if you don't feel like a person or a relationship is growing or changing, then it's probably not going to. And you are going to grow and change. That's going to be your own personal journey, your life. And if you want, you know, companions on your life, with you on this journey, then they're going to have to be able to grow and change with you. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So. Oh, no, keep going. But, I'm agreeing with you. <laughs> I also recently broke up with, not broke up with, but let go of an old friendship. And it was with someone that I loved dearly for years. But one of our last conversations made me realize I didn't love the person that I'm speaking to in that moment because I don't think I ever really knew them. They had not changed in a very healthy way and they were not being a very healthy friend towards me. They were talking to someone that they thought they knew, which was someone that I had never been or had even felt like I was in so many years. Yeah. And I realized I can't have this person in my life anymore because I don't feel this relationship growing. I don't feel it evolving or changing. And I don't see them being on my journey wherever it takes me. So the original point of um I'm just sorry, Aaron, did allow you just your... waffle? Did you just yes, waffle? I did. I did. My I'm trying to get back to the original point. Um and now I just lost my place. <laughs> Apologies. You have realized that the friendship was 
staying in the place where it was while you were progressing and growing in your personal journey. They wanted to stay as they were, or let's say, stay who they were. Even though the years were passing, the days were passing, they and, didn't have anything to grow to yet. And more than that, they wanted me to stay in their in the way that they visualized me. Yes. Yeah. And I wasn't that person. I couldn't be that person for them. And so I had to let them go. And I honestly do feel a little bit better about that because now I'm free to discover who I am as I have discovered myself who I am without them. And I like the person that I'm evolving into. I like being, I like discovering who I can become because I like evolving. I like changing. I like going on a journey and discovering who I'll be in the next 25 years or so. I, and I also kind of like not knowing. I, I look forward to even the uncertainty of it. Can I throw something in that? Yes, of course. So you're inspired by the fact you are going into this new person and you weren't able or willing to stay this old version of you because you knew you were developing. Exactly. Do you not think that was also best thing to do for them at that time or now I do because I don't think they need me in their life anymore or I don't think we ever truly needed each other in our lives we probably just thought we needed the friends that we thought we were to each other when it turns out that we weren't do you not think you were friends or the relationship was not there at some point and then things progressed and just developed and probably moved away. I think like so, more so than that, I I think I lost myself in this person for a long time. Mm -hmm. I there was a time in my life when I was vulnerable and I saw them as a protector. Uh, and I didn't realize until like in the, even the last couple of years just how toxic that relationship was and how I needed to really think, do I still want this person in my life? And I answered, no, I don't. There's and a it difference took me... between want and need. You said you thought you needed them to be your protector and then it was wanting them to be in your life. How I did, did you at one... differentiate the two? Well, for one thing, I wasn't vulnerable anymore. At the time when we first developed our friendship, I was very vulnerable. I was constantly being harassed. And this person, as soon as they came into my life, a majority of that harassment stopped. That's how I saw them kind of as a protector. I stuck with this person for the longest time. And, but this mentality also it changed my personality. Mm -hmm. I've always been the kind of person to kind of fight my own battles, always kind of used to it. And I kind of turned into a more dependent person with this person. And it wasn't good for me for years. There was a lot of fighting, a lot of almost anti-development. Mm -hmm. And I finally, 
get to a point in our lives where we're not spending like so much time together or we're growing a little bit apart. We're still, we were still kind of friends for a little while, occasionally hung out, but I sort of saw how I developed and how I had changed without them in my life. And it wasn't until like one of our last conversations when I realized I am done. No, I cannot go. I cannot keep putting myself through what this person is like doing kind of to me or who they think I am. I can't be that person to them anymore. I can't be someone vulnerable or even weak like they think I am. Like one of the last things that this person said to me is, don't you want a strong masculine man to provide for you and protect you? And I said, who said I wanted a masculine man? Who's, who, who, who do you think you're talking to? And this, this is someone that I've always like confided in that I'm able to kind of try to fight my own battles. I can take care of myself. And at the same time, they were there in a way like shielding me from the ones that I had been fighting off. So it was just a really big wake up moment and I had already been considering like I do I still want this person in my life do I still need this person in my life no I don't that final conversation said you know what I'm done I am done this person has allowed I've allowed this person to define me for so long you I cannot be molded by this relationship yeah you fit yourself into this like water into a jug. Exactly. And May I ask you a question? Of course. You're using a very powerful word. Um, vulnerable. To be vulnerable does not mean to be weak and that you need need a protector. It means you are open. You are open to the attack that you felt. But like you said there, you didn't actually need a protector. This person felt like they had to be one. That was on them. What is your definition of vulnerable compared to, for lack of a better phrase, needing protection? I, I, I'm, I'm using the visual reference now in my head. Do you know The Legend of Zelda? I know of it. Massive segue. I know. I'm so sorry. Um, Go ahead. But the actual, the, the major, one of the major characters, Zelda herself, is um, this princess who is seen as a damsel in distress, right? Mm-hmm. The problem is what a lot of people don't realize if they haven't played, like, maybe the first four or five games, is she is also probably the most powerful, deadly assassin in the whole game whatever way everyone sees her in these new versions or these um, updated um, reincarnations. They see her as this character they need to only protect. She can protect herself, but she is vulnerable. She opens herself up saying, I need help. But she isn't saying, I need to be saved. There is a difference. So... Now, what I want to ask you, if you don't mind answering, 
When you say vulnerable, what do you mean by that? Vulnerable is not a weakness. If anything, it's a strength if you are willing to be vulnerable. I think that in my mind, I'm kind of reverting back to what we were told vulnerable was in a way where if you're a vulnerable, if you're vulnerable, you're open to in a way be attacked mm -hmm. and being weak means that you can't fight back. Did anyone physically try to impale you with a spear? <laughs> oh my no. God. If you were to, if you had to even contemplate, well, it wasn't really a spear more than <laughs> Just a very long stick. I would I would be very, very, very worried. No, but... Magic to yourself. What are your thoughts on that? I think we have a tendency to lose ourselves in others. To bring out our more people-pleasing sides or to feel like... We, we think we feel a connection with someone and we kind of focus on that connection, on being the best that we can be for this other person while losing sight of who we truly are. So that's not being the best you can be. That's being, like you were saying earlier, who the other person wanted you to be. Yeah. And then, and then just... I, in a, sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Oh, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. I should have been like, yeah, it's my podcast. We're on it. <laughs> <laughs> Courtesy. Oh my gosh, I'm so glad you just traveled to Ireland because I know if you were like literally coming, you'd give me a massive smack for that one. Be respectful. Or, no, I just I just slap you in the face with some black pudding. And I would happily eat it off the floor. <laughs> black pudding is amazing. <laughs> I don't care what oh. you say, it's amazing. It's the best kind of pig intestine you can eat. I just love how you finally revealed it to me. What was the secret? What the secret ingredient was? Because Morgana. It's not it's not a secret ingredient. It's not a secret ingredient. It is to you because you refused to use Google on your fingertips. I was I was still uncertain as to whether or not I wanted to know. <laughs> to be honest, I just ran like half a marathon at that point and I was eating my roasters uh -huh. and my carrots. And, we were and my all potatoes. Yeah, there's no way you're going to leave like potatoes on a place. Roast potatoes are the best. <laughs> Oh god, those were good. Yeah. No, like in general, they're just the best. Oh, yeah. Like if I'm on death row, please, just a pile of roast potatoes. Give me sweet potato chips, those are great. Girl, why'd you have to ruin? Excuse you? No, I'm Hold on, we like, we started on a conversation about vulnerability and somehow we make it to food. I think that's just the way the conversations go with me. I apologize profusely. <laughs> But anyway, back yes, sweet potatoes are second to roast potatoes. We will agree on that. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Black pudding is amazing. Yes, thank you very much on that. Right next to linguisa. Um, well, oh yeah, no, no more yeah. food talk because I'm actually starving. <laughs> I actually had beans on toast this morning. I've been Did craving you? it ever since we got back. I don't. How can you crave something so simple and so? Every day. Because I don't get time to make breakfast in the morning? No, and it's not simple to us because you have... And bacon and chicken and syrup and... 
It sounds delicious, honestly it does, and it looks like it's aesthetically pleasing to watch it, like, melt into each other, but beans on toast is so simple, it's so cheap, and it's like, bam, bam, bacon and ham yeah. in your mouth. It's really good. But no, like, anyways, so, backtracking from Sorry, food. Yes. <laughs> yes, backtracking from food, let's go back to One of these days, yes. just make a podcast episode where you're talking to, like, a chef, and then you can just talk about food for the entire episode. No, because they would absolutely be disgusted with what I use <laughs> on a daily basis. And how I, like, consume my food together to try and get in my vitamins, my micronutrients. They'd be like, Stuart, this is not, like, this is not good for your taste buds. They probably hate you. And I'm like, yeah, they do. But anyway. Yeah. Being vulnerable is not a state of weakness. But it's seen as it because for a long portion of our lives, and to be honest, you are quite correct with this sentiment, we have been taught to who is going to love us, who is going to be, of course, we're going to marry and have this family with because this is the family nucleus that we need and we want and society's condition us to have. Because mm -hmm. what else are we here for besides to live this picture-perfect, quote-unquote, American lifestyle? The family, the dog, the picket fence. And I use that very, like, broadly, like we have it over here. Europe mm -hmm. has it, everyone has it, this family nucleus. Recently it's had this, this. Go on. Yeah, we actually recently had this conversation with my grandma because she expects everyone to do exactly as she did, where you get married right out of high school and Im immediately start, you know, starting a family. I was sitting with her and my cousin a little while ago, and she was actually going on about how how impatient she was to become a great grandmother how our uh, how her grandchildren have not immediately gotten married and started having kids and my cousin and I were both just like well if we couldn't do it nowadays we can't afford the housing the children are expensive it's not like uh, people get married right out of high school anymore grandma and she's like well maybe that's the problem and my cousin and I were just exchanging a look like what <laughs> yeah yeah but that is one of the expectations on our generation and throughout. But it's not something that I think we should have to live up to because no one else should decide our lives for us because they're not living our lives. They're not breathing our air. They're not thinking our, our thoughts. Very good. I, I quite agree with that sentiment. When you say our generation, you mean millennials, yeah? Yes. I'm going I, I, to hold on to that like as with my bare freaking teeth <laughs> until some Gen Z scrapes it from my dead corpse. I am a millennial. Oh, God I, bless I Gen am, Z. I, yes. No, no. But this is what I'm saying. Gen Z are coming off the backs of baby boomers who are mm -hmm. coming off the backs of their forefathers. And basically it's going from this industrialization of family, work, bills, family, work bills, lifetime, two weeks off, bills, etc. Then as we developed with, you know, society, everything in general, we did become a lot broader. We weren't so much conditioned to what we have been taught because we are not like this hive mind anymore. We have free speech. We had the infancy and then the development and 
the progression of social media the digital age we saw the brighter and broader world for what it was more than just our textbooks and what we saw on television that national news would give to us and now gen z above all that have everything plus the history plus the development they see exactly where we went wrong exactly where our parents went wrong exactly where we were conditioned and more or less um, brainwashed to the point where we were like meant to have a certain type of lifestyle and they realize we are individuals we're learning that as millennials i think a lot of us are like we don't have to just follow this one guideline that everyone has for the last 100 150 years and now it's a case of it's a fight between the gen z the baby boomers and you have us millennials in the we're middle we're just the middle man like, we're the middle child everyone forgets until we speak up and everyone's then just like no one asked you you're not meant to be here leave us alone <laughs> i feel that's the way it's gone sometimes when i talk to gen z's and then i talk to baby boomers i'm like huh two very interesting perspectives i'm gonna be quiet one of the one of my favorite bits of advice from a lot of my uh Gen, not Gen Z, but the baby boomer generation. Anytime I feel like I'm going towards that traditional mindset of I want kids, I want a family, I still question like if that's something that I want or if it's something I wanted for me. And then I get two inches from a baby and I'm like, oh, I want one. And then all my baby boomer friends are like, don't, <laughs> <laughs> don't. Either because, um, you know, they know the hardships that, it goes into like raising a family, the financial struggle, trying to just even live, uh, trying to find a home, buy a house nowadays, almost damn impossible. Or they're just terrified of the prospect of a mini me running around in the world. I am currently watching several of my friends in the capital in Dublin put up posts on their stories being like, I'm homeless in and 20 days in two months can anyone find me accommodation in x y and z this is the amount of money that's the length we go to to try and find housing or even a room like we are so bad over here and in terms of family um i'd be petrified to be trying to start family right now at my age just for the fact that like, i can barely handle myself trying to handle a relationship or a child is completely different to what it was 50 years ago like for our 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 parents and our grandparents if i may though i think later 30s is a better time if you have like the means to if you, if that is what you want i think right it would here. be a better i put I'm, down I'm, content creator to my accountant i don't he actually doesn't like he doesn't accept that at all hey i'm ryan reynolds recently i asked mint mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation they said yes and then when i asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts they said what the f are you talking about you insane hollywood ass so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. 
One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. But uh, it's an if, hypothetically. It's, a, it, it's very much an if. It's like, can I put down I make videos on the internet? And he's like, no, Stuart, please go get a job. And I'm like, okay. If I can pay my electricity and I can buy some frozen peas this week, I am good. I I would not be able to handle like trying to develop a family now. I think but that's like a personal thing for myself. I'm not right. in that mindset and I don't have that kind of um not solidity, but I think that is the right word in terms of like having a um grounding that I know foundation to provide. Yeah. to provide for others when i'm trying yeah. to just provide for myself in this ever changing world that's kind of are we in a recession i don't know are we in a world war i don't know can you handle yourself i don't know <laughs> but what i was trying to get at is in your 30s i think it's a better time in your life age wise depending on like how your lifestyle is to probably start having a family. Physically it might be a struggle yes. because uh, but well not for men. I mean men can probably have kids well until their um 80s. I think Charlie Chaplin was around that uh was an older man when he had his youngest child. But um for like even for women though like the age range I've known women in their 50s who are still giving birth. And it does like but mental mentally wise I think mentally wise <laughs> mentality wise emotionally <laughs> Yeah. financially there's a lot of things that come into it besides just procreation isn't there anyone can yeah. procreate it's been able to provide then for the massive responsibility of you know actually having a child and trying to curate this life into another being and entity yeah i'm just comparing Charlie it Chaplin at the age yeah. of 80 oh my god yeah I grew up on well, him. No one no one else in my generation even knows who his name what his name was. You like, what on him? I I grew up on Charlie Chaplin. Oh, okay. What did you think I said? I'm not going to say on the podcast for months. Stuart. <laughs> okay. Oh, Stuart. No, well, he was AC5, so Yeah. But anyways, um what I was trying to get at is I think 30s is like the better age depending on on your mentality at the time. You're not a young adult anymore. Well, still kind of semi young, but you're more of an adult then in your 30s than you are in say your 20s or especially right out of high school. I've known people yes. who have started families right out of then. They're still children. They're still children and they're giving birth to children. It's like you're always going to be in your own still adolescent mindset and you're going to be trying to raise children. I mean, kudos to you if you can do that. If you have the uh maturity for that. But it's you're still just a kid. You're supposed to live uh live a life and then uh you know, just try to find out what it is that you want in life before you start bringing more life. <laughs> May I disagree with that? Yeah, of course. Openly. Um So if you think about it in society um even 10 15 20 years ago you were seemed like 
have a child by at least 20, 25, because that's what was always expected. And for a lot of people, they were developed enough in, mentally and emotionally to have children because that's the way, you know, they grew up. They knew that mm -hmm. this is, you know, they had to be an adult at a certain time. I think as we progressed with society, we also allowed it, allowed our emotions to expand in the terms that we long time to try and not compartmentalize basically what we are going through in terms of everyday life and struggles and trauma. We didn't have the initial responsibility of, okay, now we have a family. We are going to provide, we are going to be this person for this person. We try to stay more so with ourselves now. Like, I think if you are emotionally and able to, let's say, start a family, then that's all for you. It doesn't matter on what age you are. Well, of course, it does matter in terms of youth in your 20s, but compared yeah. to like in your being an elder. But Charlie, Cha I, I think Charlie Chaplin has just kind of thrown me now because all I'm seeing <laughs> is Charlie Chaplin. I'm so sorry. But yes, what I mean is like, if you were to, like my parents had me at a, quite a young age. And when, when it came with that was um, my father, which I don't really tell people, was actually given the option, do you want to keep the child? My father's father said, you know, I didn't have the choice because my parents went over in England where my, my grandfather was working. Um, my dad told me his dad said when I was in Ireland, I didn't have the choice. So, son, you are whatever age, you have the choice. Do you want to start this new part of your life? Or do you want to try and develop your own? And obviously my parents, you know, chose one path. Um, and I'm here. I think if you're emotionally in a state of maturity, you know you're ready to start a family or to have a child and raise it, whether that be together or single. Um, I don't think that's a generational thing. I just think with the age that we're in now, you can be emotionally mature to have a child, let's say at 30, a lot more than you are 20, but you are more than capable have one at a younger age 20 25 you know like our hormones get to us you know we often go out when we're younger especially in college i remember college oh my gosh i don't want to remember college oh no we had a pub called charlie chaplin's and now i'm all i'm thinking is charlie <laughs> chaplin's pub oh my gosh <laughs> You've destroyed me on this podcast. We're meant to be talking about pillows and embroidery. <laughs> well, we can revert to that because that's something I learned from a generation, from, from a, uh, a a previous generation, I guess. It's actually a good segue. Could you tell me about yeah. a current passion project you're on? And if you dare say a Charlie Chaplin pillow, I will. No, but I'm thinking about it. I'm kidding. <laughs> Maybe I had like now. Oh my gosh, I'm gonna get a Charlie Chaplin like face in the in the mail. Well, I want to see now if I can find some like old Hollywood fabric. Like I'm already brainstorming now. Thank you for the inspiration. You're this, absolutely welcome. Do not show me. 
this actually reminds me of another conversation that we had about um oh god you said something about uh i, I said something about us uh a pyramid of pillows and you took that and said if you ever send me a pyramid shaped pillow <laughs> i was like oh well, thank you for the uh inspiration to make a deathly hallows pillow that actually came out pretty good i'm, I'm really proud of how that one came out that because that was my first triangle pillow i've only ever done like the square shaped stuff and i i tried to do the round ones Ugh, that just came out bad but like uh this is part of my passion this is discovering what i can do with what inspiration i can get and sometimes it's as little as a word or even a joke it's a lot of jokes sure. honestly yeah um my grandma's finally starting to make teddy bears she's only ever done quilts and pillows herself her first uh project she shows me and it came out really good and i'm thinking you know what maybe one of these days i could try that as well i'm it's a it's also a really great way to counter some personal anxiety of mine because for the longest time and through um embroidery especially someone will maybe suggest something like oh can you try this and my immediate internal reaction is oh i can't do that i don't know how to do that mm -hmm. and now i'm in a place where i'm like okay i think i can work that out if i can figure out a way to do it then i probably can it's a great way to uh kind of not cancel out that voice because that voice is always going to be in there but rather to counter it and this is how I really work on it as a personal passion because it's also a great way to develop myself. You know, it's I, a great way. To, sorry. Go ahead. No, finish your sentence. I apologize. It, no, it's good. Um, it's a great way to evolve, to change, to discover anything new that I can do. That rhymed. Okay. Um, yeah. So basically, and I, I learned. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say you kind of answered my question there. I was going to say to cancel this voice, could that voice not be a form of critique yourself that you're just going to progress and you instantly there just said evolve. So it's developing. Yeah. And I like the feeling of like challenging myself and developing and changing. I'm, I'm already thinking of things I could do in the future, things I want to challenge myself with. Like teddy bears or in the present? Oh, right now the present challenge is <laughs> finishing. Uh, can I cuss on here? No. Finishing shite that I've been procrastinating on for so long. Because <laughs> I'll start a project and then I'll start another project and I just need to stop doing that. I need to finish what I start. You know, yeah. and that that is a personal challenge because I don't I have not been diagnosed with it, but I'm pretty sure I'm on the spectrum for ADHD. Mm -hmm. So that's just a stupid habit of mine that I need to I know I, I acknowledge it. I know that I have it, but sometimes I ignore it and I just go through with it. It's very hard to ignore something that kind of encapsulates your life without you realizing it. Have you ever hyper fixated on multiple things at once? Oh, heck yeah. Yeah. What's that Have saying? Like my brain. Time blindness. 
Hmm. Probably. Have you ever hyper fixated on an event that you were like showing up maybe an hour beforehand or 30 minutes beforehand just to be there? Hmm. Maybe? Not recently. You don't but like, hyper fixate on time. Nope. I, I just kind of, yeah. Uh, when it comes to timing, it depends on what the thing is. I Usually I try to get there on time or I'll get there very late. Mm -hmm. But, um, and then the other person says, oh, I'll be late. <laughs> I feel like that was a call out that I'm not. <laughs> you're not the only one. Trust. You're not the only one. You're, you're, you're like the white rabbit. Always like checking your watch. I'm late. I'm late for a very important date. <laughs> and I forget which days it was. And then I'm like running between two. And then I do that whole comedic scene where I'm like, I'm going to date these two women at once on separate sides of the restaurant. And I'm just going to change my suit halfway in between. I feel like it's a 1980s sitcom right now. <laughs> yes, I am Robin Williams. I actually just performed one of his monologues from a movie I've known about but I've never watched called The Birdcage, where he plays this um, Oh, the gay, the, the, yes, the one where it's his, him and uh, Nathan Fillion who are gay drag yes. show guys. I oh. love that. It is, it is such a good piece. Please. I don't know why I've never seen this. Please tell me it was the impromptu Fosse, Fosse, Fosse. <laughs> I did not realize it was impromptu until after I watched the interviews, after I did the scene. I thought, okay, it's Robin Williams. He's, he's pulling a Robin Williams, you know, like he has the stage, he has mm -hmm. this moment, and this is what he was given, and this is how he's delivering it. And I did it, and then I was watching the interviews, and it's like, of course it's impromptu. It's Robin Williams. Oh, a majority I of his to... impressions for the genie were impromptu. Yes, um, did you hear the thing where it's like Disney said... Robin Williams is a genie, so we're going to have the genie's actions all animated, but do not move his mouth until we hear what Robin Williams <laughs> says. I had not heard that, but that is brilliant. Yeah, apparently, like, they basically... It's one of the few times that Disney put an actor into the voiceover booth for one of their massive films and said, yeah, just play around. See what comes out. And yeah, that's how, like, half... Uh, the genie's lines in the cave and on the island scene came about for Robin Williams, which is just like really, really cool and iconic, but just genuinely so like reminiscent for Robin Williams. Yeah. And that He's... right there is a man who followed his passion, especially for comedy. He really just, uh, he just turned it, everything into one big giant laugh. Because that was his why? passion, entertaining people. His passion was entertaining people. Well, why do you think he... Have you ever watched any of his documentaries? No, not yet. They're actually quite heartbreaking. He, he had so much turmoil in his personal life that he said, you know, if I can make someone laugh or if I can make a joke out of this dire situation, then, you know, it's making something brighter in the world. It's it, but it, it you are so true with the fact like he was so enveloped in this passion that you know it, it was better for him, better for his career, and better for all of us because we'll always remember Robin Williams. Yeah, he's imprinted on our hearts forever. 
I think he's done a lot more than that. He's stuck his face into a cake. <laughs> what was your introduction to Robin Williams? Or like, can you remember one of the earliest of his movies him, that? Him sticking his face into a cake as Mrs. Doubtfire, and me being like <laughs> traumatized with the fact that it was a man as Mrs. Doubtfire, and then me being so angry with the fact that he didn't eat the cake. That he just stuck <laughs> his face into. Yeah, it's still good. It's still. I. I would literally have been like trying to lick it off my face. I always remember <laughs> that. That was my introduction to Robin Williams, though, Mrs. Doubtfire, and it was. And I hated live-action movies as a child. I. It could only ever be animated. I could only ever watch mm. two-dimensional, very bright, vibrant colors to keep my attention. But somehow, himself and freaking Adam Sandler of all people, Happy Gilmore could just capture me and I don't know how and even to this day I'm like if Robin Williams is on I will watch it yeah one of one of my earliest memories of Robin Williams is him and in, in the Shelley Duvall production of the Frog Prince a what it, production? Shelley Frog Duvall Prince. have you not seen that? no no. <gasps> oh, Stuart. Oh. Okay. Yeah. No, I'm going to send you the link to it because it's on YouTube. So many frog puns and innuendos for a kid's movie. Oh, you can never watch it the same way as an adult. But okay. it's, yeah, it's absolutely brilliant. Even for like, it's, and the way that Shelley Duvall created that i loved what she did with like uh, her passion projects of recreating um fairy tales that we grew up to as a kid she tried to keep them as close to um as close as she could for a kid's show to the original um even uh brothers grim fairy tales but she produced it like an actual theater like a play Love. and yeah you should see her version of the little mermaid that was it was really sweet Treat Williams as the prince and freaking Helen Mirren as his love uh, as his uh, other love interest that he marries instead of the uh, instead of the mermaid girl. I um, might have actually watched these because these sound very familiar, like well, the actual versions them. of fairy tales that are. Yeah, I might have like I might have seen this. I don't. I'll let you know. I'll let you know later on. But okay. sorry, we're segueing, we're waffling, yeah. and it's so easy to pull myself back, <laughs> but like it's such a good conversation. But yeah. okay, so we've talked about hobbies. We've talked yeah. about passions. What is mm -hmm. the difference to you between a hobby and a passion? How do you find a difference? I is think there a difference? There is in a but it's a it is a bit of a gray area because you can turn a hobby into a passion. Hobby, I feel like, is something that you do primarily for your own self-pleasure, like painting. Um, you do it because it makes you feel good and you don't really uh, intend to like share it with someone else, whereas that is where the passion comes in. You share what you love or you uh, you share what you do for others. Could for their... I, or you, yeah? Could I interject? Could that not be passion versus profession? I am very passionate. Well, it depends on how much you're charging for it. <laughs> No, see, I'm very passionate about dance. Whenever I get into like the gym that has a free studio, I'll go in there for at least half an hour. It's not a hobby to me. I I need to I need to put on a piece of music and to move, but I'm not a professional at it. If that makes sense, I'm very passionate right. about movement, 
movement theater, but mm-hmm. I'm not professional. I'm very passionate about um, acting, but I'm not a professional. I'm a professional in graphic design. That was a passion because it was something I did in college, but it was never a hobby. Well, then maybe the real difference depends on how much you love it or how often or how it continues with you because hobbies you can phase out of uh, passions continue with you for as long as for as long as uh you know you are passionate about it but hobbies can be temporary hmm like i phased out of painting it's yeah uh, it was just a phase that i went through during the pandemic it was really satisfying but I never pursued it like I did with embroidery. Yeah. Yeah. So. How do you spend your free time? <laughs> your passion is your hobby, which is like essentially what you're making as your side career. So mm-hmm. how do you spend your free time? I spend it doing embroidery, for, yeah. uh, trying to come up with new designs or new ideas. And if not that, then reading. And I, I wish I could say that I read to educate my mind more often. I just read to. Reading is a form of escape a lot of the time, as like movies and theater are. Yeah. Yeah. So you're just kind of in, in the story, ever trying to like forget whatever is going on in the outside world. Just come over to this little space and just you know enjoy yourself and immerse yourself in this whole other world with these whole other characters is that not creatively like broadening your horizon like is that not depends on how well the story is written depends on what Uh, you're yes very very (laughs) true i must i i will agree with that i will concede that but how do you find inspiration because um and forgive me for this um embroidery not everyone does that that is a very kind of oh more people do it than you think it's not as outdated yeah there's a whole embroidery talk on tiktok um it there's a lot of women within the last generation or even mine who still do it who still pass along this trait but what i see with a lot of uh other creators is they do um professional kits and I've start, kind of started doing that, but I create my own designs, whereas they uh, do other people's designs. They do their own specific like knots or tutorials. I I like tutorials are fascinating to watch, but I like trying to develop my own style because that way it becomes mine and no one else's. Yeah. So that's why. Yeah. So I try to do more designs that have quotes in them and then I'll add like a floral design or a border or something like that. And I try to develop my own style recently. Like within the last year or so, I did a order for a friend and her children, and I did something completely different where I did like an animation or a Celtic knot on one side, and then I did the quote on the other. And I was like, okay, this was a great challenge. This looks amazing. This is how I'm going to do, uh, you know, my projects from now on. But um, it doesn't always work out like that because who knows, maybe the fabric uh, speaks for itself or the design or the quote is like, you know what, this is satisfactory. This is, looks really good. Um, but like, this is what I spend my free time doing, just brainstorming if I'm not uh, immersing myself in 
another world in, in a book. Bringing it back to the original question. <laughs> so it's a case of not immersing yourself in your passion, but immersing yourself in a space that's still creative. Yes. And as for finding inspiration, sometimes it can be just a word. Just a word, or even a full sentence, or even just like looking at something beautiful, like a certain kind of flower. It's just, yeah, sometimes all I I just need to hear it, and then I, my brain immediately goes into like brainstorming mode. Like, okay, I like this, let's already pick a font, let's pick something to go with it, so let's pick a fabric. It just starts going, and it's like, it's like creating a jigsaw puzzle, and then cutting it up into little pieces and then piecing it all, uh, rearranging it. That's basically the way that my mind works when it comes to uh, post-inspiration. <laughs> post-inspiration, I like that. Yeah. It's like taking away that momentum, that motivation, that drive, and what you're left with is still what you have to work with. Yeah. So and sometimes it's just fun. No, go ahead. It's just fun. It's just fun. Especially when it's inspired by a joke. No. No? No. <laughs> I am sick of seeing pictures of O. Stewart. <laughs> hey, people were paying for that one. <laughs> it's not the length of the spoon, it's how you use it. <laughs> or how hard the wood is. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I just like if I could you walked next, right into that one. Yeah, yeah. If I could just have, like <laughs> maybe some kind of royalties for the amount of stuff I say online that people quote, I'd be like, oh, you got your own O Stewart pillow. There's your royalties. <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> and it was Apollo themed. How do you? Oh my gosh. How do you visualize <laughs> success? And how would you showcase that to others to inspire that? Oh, honestly. You have, you have, sorry if you don't mind me interrupting no, before I ask, make you answer the question. It's like, yeah, here's the question. Don't talk, Aaron. I still don't <laughs> No, I apologize. But um, you have a close knit group of people who love your work. And you're reaching a broader audience through social media and being part of all these communities. How do you inspire other people with what you do and how do you find yourself successful? Honestly, in my case, I just kind of put what I have out there and it depends on whether it resonates with the individual who does take a personal fascination with it. I, the way I try to promote what I love is I'll I'll share bits and pieces of it from start to finish. I don't just want to show the finished product because people will be just like, oh wow, that's so pretty, give it to me. And that I like to invest in how much work I've put into it. And yeah. that to me is the success. Like not just accomplishing something and feeling satisfying it, but appreciating the work that you put into it. And it, in a way, it increases the appreciation from an external point, other people's appreciation for it. They see the, the work you put into it. Yeah. You know? 
And to me, that is the success behind it. Or that is the finalist success. I can't talk. <laughs> that is the success. Your success. So what is your success in the future? I honestly don't know. That's okay. I kind of like not knowing too. I, I like the idea of just finding out eventually. <laughs> living life. Exactly. But you're living life with the passion that you have now, a passion that kind of fulfills you and drives you. Is that not success? And if it's not yeah. success in this present, is it not going to be success in the future? Unless you develop a new passion, a new hobby, a new profession. In itself, yes. What advice would you give or advice how to remain centered in yourself and not get caught up in drama of everyday life? Like you Ooh. were saying earlier, which I actually thought was very well said, very well spoken and articulated, is we live two lives. The life we live for another person in a relationship and the life we live ourselves. And at one point when those lives don't correlate, or one person can't grow with another, we need to decide, are we willing to stop or are we willing to live our own life? So how can you remain centered in this mindset so that you know you're never going to stop growing? I think the Sorry, best that way was to... a lot of, that was very um, <laughs> waffly. I apologize. Did you understand the question? Basically, yeah. Um... Great. I can't, I think the best way to say this is that I have gotten up, caught up in other people's drama before and I don't want to repeat that. So I feel like that's a learned lesson. And the best way that um, you can avoid it is by, you can't always avoid other people coming to you. So you can maybe just let them vent, uh, hear them out, and then let them start their own healing progress. You can maybe just give them a place to it's a safe place to kind of release whatever it is that they're bothering, whatever it is that's bothering them. And but the way that you extent. get involved, to an extent, yeah. Okay. But the way you don't uh, get yourself too involved is you don't repeat it. You don't uh, project it elsewhere or you don't, um, you know, tell someone else about something that someone has confided in you. Yes. Unless it's an emergency situation. Like, um, yeah. yeah, but... No, just, you don't have to, you can be there for someone without getting involved in their drama. But establishing you can still be, boundaries. Exactly. And establishing that boundary um, is essential. Like, I've had to set boundaries with a few friends recently, like, hey, I'm sorry, um, can we not talk about this subject in particular? Or can we not talk about this person in particular? Um, I don't feel comfortable talking about this person because to me it feels like gossip and sometimes they'll respect it but if it's a continued thing and I have to remind them then I'll just be like okay you know what um, I'm just gonna try to revert this conversation this is uh, yeah I don't want to get involved in this and even if it feels like even just listening already is you have to remind yourself sometimes all that you can do for someone else if you want them to if you want them to be in your life Set your boundaries, but also 
give them a safe place where like, they feel you can come uh, they can come to you you know that they can respect respect goes both ways respect you can respect goes both ways yes oh. and yeah i have gotten another people's drama before unintentionally but i but that wasn't like that was not in a good space and it's even harder when it's in a workspace <laughs> unless you're in a job like mine where it's a desk job then you're not uh, it also depends on like how social you are with either an individual or with the group in a work environment i'm in a place where people will always ask me questions that i have no information about so i'm like i'm not involved in that i apologize i don't have uh any information on this that's all i can offer them and then they will some sometimes they'll respect that or sometimes they'll keep questioning me about it even though i just said um i don't have any information on this i apologize or i'm not getting involved in this brilliant we will yeah. come back to this in two seconds. yeah i'm waffling now <laughs> do you know what okay it's the end of the <laughs> session have asked no, no, no. It was just going to be a joke about lasting so long. So. <laughs> okay, yeah, if you don't mind, please don't do that. <laughs> Anyways. How have you found this experience? This was a very um, impromptu, impulsive um, message from you. It was quite interesting to talk about, let's say, an individual life passions and how it can affect let's say the trajectory of where you're going in life and we went off on so many trajectories here i mean we were talking <laughs> about the long mermaid into charlie chaplin robin williams into developing relationships and when to know that they are either benefiting us or we are just not right for them into finding momentum in our own lives in our working lives and how that kind of pushes us with our passions and our hobbies it's been a very Long it's conversation. Been, I think that's been a very enlightening conversation. Yeah. And honestly, one of the best, because I feel like these are some of the best conversations you can have with a person to just be open and honest and yes, and trusting with them. Mm -hmm. so. so what are you hoping for in life right now? Well, right now, tomorrow. Well, week. Ever since coming back from my first uh, overseas trip, now I just want to spend as much of my life as possible traveling and exploring new cultures. If I don't spend my life working towards a single career or just orienting it about a job, I want to have lived a full life, an experienced life. What is a experience life for you for me not staying in one space for your whole life not just sitting still growing and expanding what advice there's more would you give to someone to do that be open to change to alternative ideas or methods you know, try different skills or develop new techniques, go to different places, meet new people, find what works and what doesn't, 
And if something doesn't work, then try something different. Like white pudding it, instead of black. Exactly. Or just remind yourself that change is okay. Change could be for the better. And you're not supposed to stay the same person for your entire life. You are meant to change. You are meant to grow. The only time you'll, you won't be able to change is if you are so determined to stay in one space. And that's no way of living. That's no way to experience life. Out of curiosity, why do you think at points in our lives we feel like this is who we are and any type of change is bad? Perhaps when we're stuck in a bad place. Or we're stuck in a good place. <laughs> or when... If you're in a good place, I think that's when you will be open, comfortable, and happy about changes in your life. To be aware of change. Yeah. That's the end goal, though, with life. Our lives, our existence, our meager existence on this forgotten plane, this corner of the galaxy, is that we are here for a certain amount of time, and we need to be as happy for as long as we can. If I may, I work with elderly people on a daily basis, but do you know what I see every single day at work? elderly people on a daily basis. <laughs> I see lives. Lives that are coming to a close, hanging on by a thread. Some of them very similar, some of them very different. People who have lived and experienced. Many of them have only experienced life within their own little bubble, the same town that they grew up in. While many have traveled the world, have raised families, have had careers, but only a few of them, I'd feel, have lived a life truly fulfilled. I see my own future, and I see the lives I would like to live how I would like to live, or how I would not like to live. That is a very profound statement. Thank you for that. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for having me. <laughs> if you could give a final message to people to find their passion in life, in a relationship, in their existence, to feel fulfilled, what would it be? tough one I know yeah I would say just find something something it can be small that makes you not just feel happy makes you just feel in general
that is a really tough one. That's I, I feel like that's all I can really give. <laughs> or rather, in general, what do you mean by feel in general? If I was to pinch you, you'd feel it. <laughs> if you were to, if you were to burn me, I'd feel it. Hmm. You mean feel uh, alive? Yeah. Something that makes you feel alive. You know, like Hades Town. Uh, Eurydice being told by Hermes. Maybe he'll make you feel alive. Alive? That's worth a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Aaron, all I can say is thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. It's been actually quite an enlightening conversation to have with you. And you have not destroyed me with your puns, and I have not destroyed you with my snarky comments. So, well, you still got a few more minutes till midnight. I think I can get a few in by the end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> and she is blocked. <laughs> oh no, not again! <laughs> exactly. But thank you. thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, guys. I thoroughly, thoroughly hope you liked this podcast if you did please give it a thumbs up like comment subscribe tell me what you'd like to hear next what we can discuss next tell me who you'd like me to bring on for interviews hear other people's stories other people's truths and passions and purposes but for now i'm going to say a farewell a good evening good morning good night wherever you've listened to this whenever you've listened to this i hope your day is both well and the day you deserve Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.